in light of the message of that song and before we interact with scripture this morning, keep in mind that the first Sunday of each month we list on the bulletin places of business where people work. We list schools with an intent to remind us that we are to be sought light and ambassadors for Christ in our day-by-day living. Sometimes we think we need to recruit people and get them to come in. In our day-by-day living, we're to be reaching people with the gospel of Christ. And at the very core is our lives, which are to be transforming because of Christ. And then in our marriages, the way we respond to our mate has a profound impact. The way parents respond is going to have a profound impact because as families are changing and maturing, it's going to make a difference in the world in which we live And then the body of Christ, the way we relate as believers, again, has a profound impact upon unbelievers. Because whether we know it or not, unbelievers do know how we get along. They have a way of picking up on that. I've heard that over and over again over the years. And then in our day-by-day living, we are to live quiet lives, mind our own business, work with our own hands, and be ready to give an answer. And then, as shoppers, as employees, as students, and so on, living in a sensitivity to God. Let's take a moment in silence, and then we'll interact with God's word. Again, Father, as we interact with a portion of Mark 6, we want to be doers of your word and not hearers only. In Christ's name, amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 6, reading together verses 30 through 44. Mark 6, 30 through 44. The caption that they list is, Jesus feeds the 5,000. I probably would be inclined, if I were to put a caption, it would be Jesus continues to train the 12. Because I think the focus of the passage is not the feeding of the 5,000, but Jesus interacting with the 12 and how he responds to them. But nevertheless, Mark 6 and verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? 
he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave, to them, gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Why was Jesus so popular that he and his disciples didn't have a chance to eat? Why did Jesus have compassion? Why are the sheep, the people in this context, or what are sheep, I'm sorry, without a shepherd like in daily life? Why didn't the 12 even consider that Jesus could feed the 5,000? That didn't even seem to, you know, cross their mind. Now keep in mind, in light of the flow of the context, in chapter 6, verses 6 through 13, Jesus had sent out the 12 to minister. They went into various villages, two by two. They ministered, they preached, that people should repent. They drove out demons, they anointed people with oil, they healed many. The 12 have come back, and there's going to be a time of reporting. But between the time of coming back and the time of reporting, Mark lists the account of John the Baptist being beheaded. And apparently that is tied in because ministry for Christ and just living for Christ apparently involves persecution at times. But then we find that people are pressing around them as the 12 seek to report to Jesus that Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get some rest. So what do they do? They get into a boat to go to a solitary place. <clears throat> but what happens? They must figure out where Jesus is going to go with the 12, <clears throat> and they run ahead. And by the time they get there, there's five thousand men. We don't know about women and children, but apparently 5,000 men there waiting for him. And if you know the history of the passage, and in light of John, apparently they were intending to make Jesus king. There were people coming and going and we know that John says after the feeding of 5,000, they intended to make him king. There was also some turmoil that had been going on in Galilee and so on for years. Some rebellion against the Roman government. And apparently that is also involved, you know, as Jesus lands with the twelve. And in verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Why did he have compassion? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep that don't have a shepherd are helpless, defenseless. They wonder. 
They're troubled by many things. They're stubborn. They're timid, and so on. So Jesus has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And what does he do? He began to teach them many things. The idea of teaching is central in Mark's gospel. In Mark 1.22, we find teaching taking place. In Mark 1.27, we find teaching taking place. In Mark 1.34, we find teaching, preaching taking place. In Mark 3.23, again, teaching, preaching taking place. Mark 4.1, Mark 4.13, Mark 6, and verse 2. Teaching, preaching is central. And basically, teaching, preaching is merely communicating truth. How it was done is not the issue, but teaching, preaching is central to Mark. And as you study the flow of Mark and some other passages, shepherds are to teach. Christ is the good shepherd. So what's he doing? He is teaching, he's preaching, he's trying to provide some guidance to those sheep that have no shepherd. And whether it be Christ, whether it be a pastor, myself, whether it be elders, a husband, a father, all are to be involved in shepherding. No, teaching sheep need guidance. Teaching, in this context, is an expression of compassion. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what does he do? He begins to teach them. In the last month, I could list a number of people that I have talked to that are going through some very great difficulty, and what did they need? Some compassion that involved teaching guidance to help them. That's where these people are. Particularly if there is, they're going to try to make Jesus king. They're looking to the political realm. And Jesus apparently is guiding them in a different direction. Sheep need teaching from their shepherd. Sheep are needy. Sheep are helpless, defenseless, tend to wonder. I realize the spelling's wrong there. Troubled by many items. I'll take credit for the wonder being spelled wrong, by the way. Cannot live alone. They're stubborn. They're timid. They require love. It's not listed there, but many authors would say they're also stupid. What does the text say? The people are like sheep without a shepherd. What is true of sheep is true of the people. So Jesus is teaching them. For a shepherd, a pastor, elders, husbands, fathers, teachers, to fulfill, to fail to teach their sheep is to deny Christ's will and Christ's design. Christ is teaching people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. As you study in the New Testament, people come to faith in Christ. Leaders are to teach them. A husband is to teach and train his wife. <clears throat> a father, teach and train his children, you know, caring for them 
as a shepherd would care for sheep. For sheep to neglect coming to be fed or taught consistently by their shepherd, whatever form that may take, whether pastor, husband, father, is to deny Christ's will and desire. So a husband may say, a father may say, I'm to teach my family, but a child, or the children and a wife need to say, I want to be taught. And it's a two-way street. It's not just a one way. For a wife and children, as I mentioned, to neglect, being taught and fed by their shepherd, husband or father, again, is to deny Christ's will. And I would pose a question, a thought question. Is the neglect in teaching feeding by shepherds, pastors, elders, husbands, fathers, teachers, and the neglect of sheep, whether it be believers, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, or children, to be taught a major factor in many of the unnecessary ills in Christianity? A wife will avoid many unnecessary struggles in life if she will seek her husband's guidance and direction and teaching. Ruth Ann, one morning said to me this week, Dan, what should I do about this? And I said, honey, while I take my shower, I'll think about it. Before she left, I gave her my response. I was trying to be a shepherd to her. And think about children. Children, teenagers, can avoid most of the struggles that they get into if they will humbly come to Dad and say, Dad, as my shepherd, teach me, guide me. And the same is true of believers. Believers coming to their shepherd, their elders, and saying, I need some wisdom and some guidance in this particular situation. And what you say, I will do. Here we find in the context, sheep without a shepherd. Notice what is taking place when we get to verse 36, by this time it was late in the day. We don't know how long Jesus taught, but nevertheless it's late in the day. So his disciples come to him. You know, they're thinking ahead. This is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So if I were to preach and teach till 5 o'clock tonight, and you all were willing to stay... You'd probably say, I'm hungry. I'm sure it would come before that. So Jeff and Travis say, hey, pastor, let's send these people away. You know, let them go get something to eat. They go to Red's or Red Rooster or wherever. That's what the disciples are thinking. You know, it's late. Send the people away. But notice in verse 37, we find a very teachable moment. But he, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Now remember, the 12 were called to be with Jesus. He is using the time for them to report back to him. But he has been teaching the crowd because the crowd was there when they landed. 
So he says, you give them something to eat. He pushes responsibility back on them with a simple but challenging comment. You give them something to eat. He gives them an opportunity for ministry. He doesn't resolve the crisis. He intensifies it. 5,000 men. We don't know if there were women and children present or not. Let's send them away to disciples saying, Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. Or Kent Hughes says it was probably spring, probably mid-April, and the sun set about 6 p.m. in Palestine at that time of year. So perhaps it was around 4 p.m. that the 12 approached him with their suggestions. They were hungry, and so was the multitude. None in their haste had bothered to pack a meal. Thus it would certainly be best to disperse immediately. But Jesus had a better idea. You give them something to eat. Is the challenge of Jesus a test to see how they will minister? Remember, they had been sent. They ministered. They came back. They had reported. And what an opportunity for this time to be taught. How do the 12 respond? They said to him in verse 37 also, that would take him eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them? What do the 12 do? They immediately begin to think in terms of the here and now. They think in terms of money. They think in terms of the scene rather than the character of Christ and the power that he had just displayed through them while they were on their mission. They neglected to even think of what Jesus could do. Taking eight months of a man's wages. Do you want us to go and buy? Notice Jesus' response. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. See, the disciples, the 12, were thinking in terms of cost, what they had. Jesus is thinking in terms of what is already present there. So he tells them to go and see, and they come back and they say, five be five loaves and two fish. Now, unless you have humongous loaves, it's not going to feed 5,000, nor is two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down. Again, he's giving the 12 something to do. Directed them, the 12, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they set down in groups of hundreds and fifties. If you have 5,000 men, you would have 20 groups of 100 and 60 groups of 50, you know, if they were seated in that many. So we're dealing with a massive amount of people, a lot of groups of 50 and 100. So the people are seated, apparently by the 12, 
Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Apparently kept breaking and breaking and breaking. He also divided the two fish among them all. And notice what the text says in verse 42. They all ate and were satisfied. Now remember, they ran to get to this place which was miles, they sat and listened to, or stood and listened to Jesus teach for an extended period of time. They probably were hungry. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. There was more than adequate the number of men who had eaten was about 5,000. Now keep in mind that I'd mentioned earlier that there's something going on here that doesn't come through real clearly in Mark. It's not merely about feeding the 5,000. I think it's about Christ and the 12, but Christ fulfilling his mission. Royal, rural Galilee was a stronghold of the Zealot movement. The Zealot movement was found in AD 6 by Judas the Galilean. And we find that the movement picked up strength. And at the time that Jesus lived, there was again a political movement to break away from Rome. John 6 and verse 15 says, after the feeding of the 5,000, it says they intended to come and make him king by force. So in a sense, we have kind of a guerrilla movement involved here. They want to make him king. But what does Jesus do? He teaches them. We don't know what he taught. And then he feeds them. And then he sends the disciples away and he dismisses the crowd. His mission was not to become a political leader. His mission was not to become a king. His mission was ultimately to go to the cross, but also to train the 12. What is the point of Mark 6, 30 through 44? The passage highlights the character of Christ being expressed through his concern for the 12 and the compassion expressed for the shepherdless people. Please understand that the point of the passage is not the feeding of the 5,000. It seems to be centered more in Jesus, continuing to train the 12, which happened to involve the feeding of the 5,000. The focus is upon Jesus and the 12. To focus primarily upon the 5,000 shifts the focus away from Christ. And I don't think it's about the disciples needing rest either. It's about Christ. He continues to train the 12. They're reporting they want to get alone, so the reporting can continue. They find this crowd of 5,000, maybe plus people. And what does Jesus do? His character comes out. He has compassion. And if they're out to make him king, he directs them in a different direction by teaching. 
And then he involves the 12 in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus sent out the 12 to minister. Then he has them report what they did. As we think about application of Scripture, we should seek to call people to be with us, send them into ministry and daily life, and finally have them report what they did, how the Lord worked. Think about that. Jesus came. He selected 12 men to be with him. And then he sent them out. Now they've come back. And in the process of reporting, they get bombarded, so they're trying to find a quiet place, and they end up with 5,000 men. And Jesus teaches them what is happening. He's training 12 men. He sends them out. They report. I think it might be good for us to ponder this in the following context. What does it mean for a husband to be with his wife and equip her how to live in the world. Send her out to shop, or it might be to a job, it might be to interact with a neighbor lady, and then coming back together, and they discuss how God worked. How about a father being with his children to equip them how to live and how to respond and sending them to school, sending them to a neighbor kid or whatever, and then coming back and reporting how God has worked. But the emphasis on being with, to live. Jesus selected 12 men to be with him so they know how to live. And they were learning about Jesus' compassion as he taught and so on. What difference should it make in the life of a father as he ministers in that way? How about a mother as she would seek to care for her children. I want us to step back mentally for a minute. One of the greatest struggles that we face when it comes to applying the Gospels today is merely being with people. to help them to 
to know how to live. I want you to stop and think. How much time do we in our culture today have to be with? Husband and wife, children and parents, and believers and shepherds. Our culture pulls us apart over and over and over again. When Jesus' design is to be with, So what difference should the above description make in how you lead, love, and care for people? As a husband, as a father, as a mother, I as a pastor, or as an elder, to be with people, to equip people, to help them how to live day by day. Beloved, we're sheep without a shepherd by nature. We come to faith in Christ. We need guidance. just to be with someone. How about a deacon? How about a teen leader? Or a Sunday school teacher? Or a WANA leader? Please understand that most teaching and training does not take place inside the four walls of a building, of a church building. It can't. Because that's where most of life is not lived. It's lived day by day. And God's design is for the shepherd to be with the sheep in daily life, not merely in a formal setting. For a husband to be with the wife in daily life, not merely a formal setting. For parents to be with their children in daily life, not merely a formal setting. And what happens? It affects how we live and how we respond in day-by-day living because a shepherd is caring for sheep. So we wrap it up. Stop and consider what you are like and how you live without a shepherd. And that shepherd may be Christ. Maybe a parent, maybe a pastor, maybe an elder, maybe a teen leader, might be a Sunday school teacher. But stop and live what you're like without a shepherd. I could list example after example what happens when people, believers, do not follow a shepherd. I could list example after example what happens is people follow a shepherd. I could give example after example of what has happened in the context of children and teens and young adults because they have not followed their parents. 
My father is gone, but I still seek my mother's wisdom. She doesn't tell me what to do. She likes to sometimes. But I still seek her wisdom because she's been involved in shepherding for years. And the same thing with a wife and a husband and so on. Sheep need a shepherd. They need to be trained for God's honor, for God's glory. Let's pray together.